0: Today's reading is from John 6, verses 60 through 71. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you They are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Amen.
1: Good morning, everyone. There you go. My name is Bruce O'Neill, and I'm the associate pastor, and I'm going to work on getting so I can see your face. It's always great to have these mics, but it's never great when I need to see you. Okay, that'll work. (laughs) We just need to train everybody to lower them. And I'm actually six foot. You'd think I could see. We are looking, if you're visiting with us, just so you know where we are in our messages, we, if you're not uh, a ten, an attender of Redeemer, we go through a series, and we're in the middle of a series, and this is, series is looking at the questions that Jesus asked in the Bible, and because of that, we want to become people who ask questions ourselves, But we also want to be a people that listens to other people's questions and tries to understand the questions that they are asking because one of our core values here is that we value questions in the people who ask them. But right up front, I just want to make this admission or this uh, caveat. Following Jesus is a process. It's not simply a decision that you make. What I mean by that is that just because you have decided uh, to follow Jesus does not mean uh, that you still don't have to process claims of Christ that you find in the Bible. Some of the things are very hard to understand, in some cases hard to accept. You know, when I grew up, I didn't grow up going uh, to the church. In fact, the first real Christians I ever came around was at the university, and it was there that lots of people raised. That's one of the things I love about university, those of you who are are campus ministers. um, I love being on college campus because it's a time where people feel that it's safe to ask questions about their faith, especially if they grew up in the church or if they haven't grown up in the church. It seems to be a place where people feel that it's acceptable to ask questions and to seek. And that was also uh, true for me on the university. And so I just had uh, tons of questions that I asked everybody because I didn't grow up in the church and, and people... I had my first Bible. I remember going to a local bookstore to buy my first Bible and I had no idea what was a uh, translation, what was a good Bible. I, I pulled off the shelf of King James thinking that's what pe- Jesus spoke and so it was good enough for him, it was good enough for me which made it extra hard to understand some of the things that he was saying. But if someone had not been patient and kind and gentle and listened to my questions and slowly, methodically helped me understand, I would not be here today. And my guess is, those of you who are in the church and have been in the church for a while, if you'll remember far enough back, that's your experience as well. I hope it is. This morning I want us to see Christianity comes with a warning label that most people don't read. Here's the warning label. The claims of Christ, the claims that Jesus makes in the Bible are often hard to understand and even harder to accept. And often people will not follow Jesus because of it. Here's the warning label. Christ makes claims. He makes hard teachings. And because they're hard teachings, sometimes people, because of a misunderstanding or an understanding, leave. That's the warning label that comes with the faith. This is why Jesus asked the question that we're looking at this morning. Jesus is at the beginning of his uh, Galilean ministry. He has started with a few dozen of followers, but by the time he's done with his Galilean ministry, about this time, he's got thousands of people, a whole flock of people wherever he goes. And, and if you uh, read the context, often he'll get in a boat to move away, and they'll just move to the other side of the body of water, and they'll show up for him. They, they're following but Something happens here. They've watched him do miracles. They've listened to his teaching. And many began to leave. So he turns to his closest disciples and he asks this question that we're looking at this morning Will you leave me too? I want us to see this morning that there always are, there always were, and there always will be people who leave Jesus. And because of that, there's always, were, and always will be three types of people, kinds of people around Jesus all the time. One of them is a group of people, those who will not stay. There'll be those that not only will not stay, there'll be those that will not leave. And then the third group, those who will not come. So, those that will not stay, those that will not leave, and those that will not come. So, first, let's look at those that will not stay. Over the past few decades, we have been watching the de of the American church. People are leaving the Western church. They have been doing that in Europe for more than 70 years. But we're now beginning to see that effect here in the United States. The fastest growing religious self-identification on forms that people fill out that ask for your religious preference, the fastest growing among those under the age of 30 is none. It's not Christianity, it's not Islam, it's not, it, it's not uh, Hinduism, it's, it, it, it's not Buddhism, it's none. Fastest growing. Many young people who grew up in the church, are leaving the church. I have a friend, his name is Marian, uh, Andrew Marion, and he was a student at a university, and he had a number of his friends come out to him and tell, them, tell him and their friends that, they, that he, they were gay. And so at that moment, he had to make a decision. He was going to remain their friends, or he was going to do what other Christians do, which is kind of ostracize. And so he decided that he would remain friends. In fact, when he graduated, he moved to Chicago, Boys Town, which is a gay community in Chicago. And there he began a study of both gays and lesbians that lived in Boys Town, Chicago. And that study became a book. It's called Love is an Orientation. And in the book, he makes two observations. It makes a lot of observations, but let me give you two. The first one is... The vast majority of the people that he interviewed, and he went from bar to bar to interview, and he became known as the straight guy in a gay bar, and he always asked them about their history. What was their relationship to the church? And the vast majority of the people he interviewed said they grew up in the church. The vast majority, I mean, it's astounding, the number. Now, it's anecdotal in the sense of he interviewed people. There was nothing particularly scientific about it. The other thing that he found out as he interviewed, he also asked this question. Would you ever like to return to the church? The vast majority said yes. Isn't that interesting? Two amazing statistics in this one guy. The pandemic did not cause the trend of the de-churching. If anything, it accelerated what was already present before the pandemic. Young people, particularly, leaving the church. I think this text answers the question why do we see that? One group around Jesus did not understand what he was teaching, so they would not stay with him. Look at verse 60. On hearing it. Hearing what? This hard teaching. What was this hard teaching? Way back up in the passage that we didn't read this morning. Verse 35. Jesus makes this claim. I am the bread of life. It's one of his number of I am statements. I am the bread of life. And then in verse 53. Same bit of teaching. But toward the end. He makes this conclusive claim. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you won't have eternal life. You see, I am the bread of life. Not only am I the bread of life, but if you don't eat me, then you can't have eternal life. So, we can understand that why the first controversy in the early church, even before the apostles have passed away or uh, martyred, The first controversy in the early church was that Christians taught cannibalism. In fact, uh, a corollary to cannibalism that was attached to Christianity was this idea of human sacrifices. Because Jesus says, unless you eat my body and drink of my blood, the only way to do that is to kill him. And so one of the early controversies is that Christianity had human sacrifices, particularly they ate their children. And that's what drove people or kept people from ever giving a hearing to the claims of Christ. Hard teachings. So one way to interpret what the hard saying is, is that this is hard to understand. Why would Jesus say, I'm the bread of life? He's not bread why would jesus say unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood you can you can't have eternal life it's the very thing that everybody wanted is to have a life longer than 35 years which is the average age back then before they expired is how do i get eternal life and he he said you got to eat his body you got to drink his blood many misunderstood what he was saying and here you're sitting here oh i know what he's saying they didn't as a result they don't stay with Jesus. It's a bridge too far, this idea that we've got to somehow uh, be cannibals to be Christians. They rejected him over a misunderstanding about what he's saying. They didn't merely misunderstand though. They also didn't like it. How do we know that? Verse 61 said his disciples, that is his followers, were grumbling at that point. And Jesus asked them, does this offend you? And they were disappointed by what they thought Jesus was saying about eternal life. They were offended by what Jesus was saying to them. They failed to read the warning label that accompanies the claims of Christ. Remember I told you, often His teaching is hard to understand and hard to accept. And many will hear it, misunderstand and walk away. So they were disturbed by what they believed Jesus was saying about eternal life, so they won't stay with Jesus. Christopher Watkins just wrote a book. It's called uh, Biblical uh, Critical, Thinking, uh, uh, Critical Theory, and in it he says this. I think this is helpful. What is left in the west of Christianity? What is left is disconnected fragments of Jesus' teaching that are misunderstood and fails to accurately describe Christ and Christianity. And this disordered photocopy is what people are rejecting, not true Christianity. You hear what he's saying? He's saying that there's vestiges of Christianity within our culture. Truths that have been here for hundreds of years, but what's left of those vestiges are fragmented, they're distorted, And they fail to completely explain Christianity to our culture. And so as a result, what most people are rejecting in America is not Christianity, but this distorted, fragmented parts of what Christianity teaches. And it's why it's so terribly misunderstood. You see, these people were following Jesus. They had seen some really cool things. They had listened to Jesus and said, What a wise guy. He had a big following. He was the original influencer. He was the guy who was telling you how to live. And people were following, though he was a terrible politician. Evidently, he did not take politics 101. Because when I took political science, these two rules were given for every political guru. One, tell them what they want to hear. Tell them what they want to hear. Rule number two, get a crowd, keep a crowd. When you fail to do those two, you're a bad politician. And here Jesus' crowd is leaving. Not twos and threes, but many, many people. Jesus begins to see people leave, and he begins a new teaching. You know, most of us, when we start to see people leave, if I started you to leave, I'd start to try to address to get you back in the room. Jesus doesn't. What Jesus does is doubles down. He says, if you think this is hard, this idea of drinking my blood and eating my flesh, you wait. Beginning in 61 and 62, he starts talking about his death on a cross And a resurrection. You think that this is hard? You wait till the Son of Man is lifted up. It's gonna be a lot harder to understand. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 the cross is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Even Paul recognizes this is some of the hardest teaching in the entire Bible to understand and to accept. And so it's stumbling block to Jews because the Jews believed anybody who was hung on a tree was cursed by God. And so they believed if Jesus died on a cross, that's a stumbling block because what bad man, what man cursed by God can do anything good? You see, that's Javert's problem in Les Mis, right? Right before he commits suicide. How can a bad guy become good? And I can't live in a world where it's upside down. And so here you have people struggling with how can Jesus be the Savior of the world and cursed by God at the same time? I will explain it. They are right. Jesus was cursed by God. And He did save His people at the same time. But in their mind, they couldn't. But it's also foolishness to Gentiles. It's foolishness to them because Gentiles thought... Someone being substituted for someone else's crimes? That's insanity. To say that an innocent person could die for the guilty is beyond their understanding because they didn't have that concept in their culture. The Jews did. Long all the way back into the Old Testament, they had innocents dying for the guilty. But Gentiles didn't have that. So that thought of the cross where one innocent person dies for the guilty wasn't even in their culture. So one group around Jesus would not stay with him because they were offended by what they were hearing him teach. That's in verse 66. Are you offended by any of Jesus' teaching? Let's be honest here. You don't have to raise your hand. But listen to some of his teachings, and you let me know if they're hard. If anyone who wishes to come after me He must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Pretty hard. Anyone who does not hate his father or mother cannot be my disciple. How about this one? Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of God is not in them. Pretty hard teachings. I get it. Those are hard sayings, and many have walked away precisely because they are hard sayings. We don't like to admit that, but some people hear what Jesus teaches, and they walk away because it's just too hard. It's too hard to understand. It's too hard to accept. So there's a second group. That's the first group. They walk away, they, they'll leave Jesus because they don't understand what he's teaching. The second group, they understand. They won't leave. So what is Jesus really teaching there? When he says, I, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood to have eternal life? He's not talking about a literal physical eating of bread, of, of body and blood. He's not talking about cannibalism. When he says, I'm the bread of life, he's talking back to the manna of the Old Testament when they're in the wilderness. And what he's saying is simply this. If I am not the core of your being, if I'm not the center of your life, then you can't have me too. I won't sit on the periphery of your life. I won't live in the closet that only you let out when things get really bad. I won't be compartmentalized in your life. Either I have the center and affect every part of your life or none of your life. I'm an all or nothing Jesus. That's all you get. I'm the King of King, Lord of Lords. I created all that there is. I sustain all that there is. You have breath because I gave it to you and I keep giving it to you. I want it all. You can't have just part of me. That's what he means. Jesus is like saying when he looked at the temple, and he said, destroy this temple in three days and I'll raise it again. He's not talking about that physical temple. He's talking about himself. You either have me or you have nothing. Jesus is saying if you want eternal life, if you want to be reconciled to God, you have to make me the center of your life, of your being. If anything or anyone else has that spot in your life, including you, then I cannot occupy that space too. Some substitutes. You know, there's saccharin out there. There There's so many substitutes for sugar. I'm not sure that they're any better for you. I know they don't taste any better, but sometimes we have done that with the center of our being. We've taken some saccharin, something that is not real, not, not from God, and put it in our center, and it can be our career. That is, this idea, this pursuit, especially New Yorkers, as we Uh, try to get to the top of our field and whatever that takes to get there we're going to do it and meanwhile slipping right there in the center of our being becomes our career rather than Jesus that doesn't mean you didn't grow up in the church it doesn't mean that you don't understand the gospel it means this you've allowed something to creep into the heart of your being that doesn't belong there and it can be your career That doesn't mean you go to the other extreme and you become anti-career. It seems like a lot of young uh, millennials have kind of moved that direction. We saw the boomers make the career. They're our parents. They did everything for their career. We're going to react against it, and we're just going to get a job. We don't care if we change jobs. We don't care how much it pays. Just enough to get by. That's the other end of the extreme. The anti-job becomes the center of the being. But it can be lots of other things. It could be money. It could be uh, your understanding of a relationship that if I don't have this one relationship, then I'm lost. You ever heard that phrase, if you're not loved, you're nothing? And sometimes we'll put right at the center of being something beautiful, another human being And only Jesus was meant to be there. Not a husband, not a wife, not a child. Only Jesus. But we put other things, we even put religion at the center of our being. The practices of our faith, the means of grace can become the center themselves. As long as I'm going to church, as long as I'm having a devotion in the morning, as long as I'm praying, as long as I'm going through these mechanical things, then I've got Jesus. And the reality is that's just saccharine. Religion cannot be the center. Only what religion worships can be the center. Jesus. As many followers begin to leave Jesus, he turns to the 12 and he says, are you going to leave me too? verse 67. Sometimes we'll read this matter-of-factly, almost stoically, as if Jesus is saying, hey, they left. Are you going to leave too? No big deal if you do. Go. The truth is, whenever people leave, it hurts. I imagine even though Jesus knew that not everyone would follow Him, not everyone would make Him the center of their being, not everyone would believe it still hurt when they left. I know it hurts because every pastor who watches someone who's been part of their church leave hurts. Everyone on a campus, after you have poured your life into someone for three or four years and then they walk away, not because of graduation, simply because they don't care anymore about what you're teaching and they leave. It hurts. So if it hurts for us, Why wouldn't it also hurt for him when they left? I know it had to hurt for the 12. As they've created this movement, they've watched it grow from a few dozen into thousands. Can you imagine? Of course you can because within the Bible, it even talks about, hey, hey Jesus, this is uh, John and James, Jesus, when you get to heaven, can we sit on the right and the left hand of you? What are they saying? This movement is taking fire. We are part of it So give us a position of authority in it. So even they recognize something big is happening here. And so what do they do? I'm sure their hearts are sinking the minute they see dozens and dozens, hundreds of people, thousands of people walk away. Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing? Peter, I love Peter. He gives some of the best answers in Scripture to Jesus' questions and some of the worst answers to Jesus. He's just like us. We're always on one end of the extremes, and so is Peter. Peter says to the answer to the question, you're going to leave us too? Where would we go? Now, you can take that this way. Jesus, we're willing to go if there was somebody like you, just a little less controversial. And that could have been what Peter meant. But more than likely, by what else he's going to ask, he's seriously saying there's no one else that we can follow. We have followed you from the beginning. It's cor- like you know the story of a Cortez who uh, uh, goes to Mexico with his conquistadors, and when he gets them all ashore, he sets the boats on flame so they can't go home. That's how the disciples are feeling. Yeah, those hundreds of thousands of Johnny, come, ladies, jump on the train. They left you, but we're not leaving you. We were from the beginning. We gave up everything to follow you. You see? That's why Peter says, you alone have the words of eternal life. They believed in what Jesus was teaching, but they had no idea the implications of Jesus' teaching. How do we know that? We know that because as soon as it got rough they ran. They hid. When Jesus went to, was arrested, they were gone. When Jesus was beaten, they were on the outskirts trying to see if they're going to come after them. When Jesus is hung on the cross, they're nowhere to be found. When Jesus is in the tomb, they're hiding. And later, they go fishing, all without Jesus. Here's the thing about Christianity. You can believe and still not understand all the implications of what you believe, and that's okay. That's okay. In fact, if you don't admit that's where you are, you're fooling yourself because you don't really understand. The beauty of Christianity is that it unfolds in your life. That's why I called it a process, not a decision, alone. And sometimes it's hard. It's not hard to understand Sometimes, sometimes it's just hard to accept because of what it requires of you is so great and so hard to do that some people just get into a struggle. And that's okay. God, through His Spirit, causes us to struggle and wrestle with Him over His claims and particularly the implications of His claims. It's not binary to say, I must understand everything He says or I can't be a Christian. That's sometimes how we, we seem to present Christianity. You either have it all or nothing, when a reality is, even if you say, I believe in the Apostles' Creed, but I have no idea the implications of, of the Creed, that is where most Christians are, if we're honest. Both can be true. I'm following Jesus, and I don't fully understand. So they will not leave Him. Which brings us to the last group, those who will not come. They are those who truly understand, just like the apostles, the the twelve, but it is precisely of what they understand they're rejecting. The first group rejected what they didn't understand, a misunderstanding. The second group are following because they do understand. The third group understand, but it's because of what they understand they reject. They understand. This is is Judas Iscariot's, what verse 70 says, when you... One of you is a devil. One of you are going to betray me. It's Judas Iscariot who was with Jesus from the beginning. He's one of the twelve. Jesus brought him into the inner circle of the followers, the ones who got all the explanations. If you follow the New Testament often, Jesus will say something in a parable to the crowds, and then he pulls the disciples and he says, this is what I meant. Judas was there for all of that teaching. Jesus even made him the treasurer. Now, you know who the treasure is. It's kind of like being the secretary. You get all the inside scoops. But in the end, Judas would not come to Jesus. Judas would not make Jesus the center of his life precisely because he understood what it would mean for him. He rejected Jesus because he knew what it would mean. And tragically, some reject Jesus over a misunderstanding, but others rejecting because they don't want to accept the hard teaching because it would change them. Why do some people reject Jesus? Is not even the most important question this morning. The most important question this morning is why does anyone follow Jesus? Knowing that Jesus' teaching is hard knowing that Jesus' teaching is hard to accept, why does anybody follow him? That's the real question, and he answers that for us. And it's almost a a swipe by. Verse 65, no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. There's your answer. Nobody here by their intellect, by their will, or their emotion is going to follow Jesus. It's only because the Father draws them, enables them to do so. Okay, so what? Let me give you three quick applications and then we'll be done. Whoa. (laughs) If you're here today, and obviously you are, or or you're at least watching, let me leave you these parting words. If you're here and you have questions or doubts about Christianity, about faith, about the claims of Christ... You don't like some of his teaching. It offends you. You find it hard. You're skeptical. What do you do in a place like this? You keep coming. You keep asking. You keep pursuing. And we're here for you. We value your questions. And we value you. Right where you are. We want to meet with you. It's the reason We got into ministry, to be honest with you. It's really not for all of this. It's really to help someone with their questions and doubts and skepticism about the faith, to understand. We'll make time for you. Some people think I can't get time with a pastor because they're busy people. The truth is, this is who we'll make room for, no matter how busy it is second you're already a follower of jesus that's most of the people in the room and you want to make him the center of your life but you don't know how maybe jesus is asking you to do something that you think is hard to do maybe it's about a relationship you shouldn't be in maybe he's asking you to get out of that relationship maybe it's a job that you have that either is requiring much of you and you don't want to put in Or maybe it's requiring too little of you and you want out. Jesus is asking you to stay. Maybe it's about whether to leave the city. This is a great one for Pastor Michael. He loves to say, love the city. If you're thinking about leaving the city, we want to meet with you. Just know up front we have a bent. We do want to help you. Not just whether you stay in the city or not, whether you accept a job or not, or whether you're in a relationship or not. Simply, we want to help you get to a place where Jesus is the center of your being. And whatever else is there taking that spot, for you to see why it doesn't work. Why in the end, it'll wreck your life. And we can help you with that. Maybe you need someone just to encourage you to keep following, keep pursuing, keep wrestling, keep choosing Jesus. We'll help you with that too. Because we know the one, the only one, who has the words of life. Third, maybe you've already rejected Jesus. You know who, you know who Jesus is and you know what He wants. But you, you don't want that. But you've been living with that other center and you know that's not working either. And that's why you've come this morning. Is You're not sure if Jesus has the answer or maybe you are sure that Jesus doesn't have the answer you're looking for. We want to help you. Keep coming. Let's meet, let's talk. First of all about why what you've put in the center doesn't work but why we think putting Jesus in the center of your life will work. Maybe not wh- how you thought it would work, but it does work. This is why people like up here, you saw RUF, Graham, and, and uh, up there uh, is another RUF uh, pastor, Eric, and, and Michael and I, that's why we got into ministry. We want to help people see Jesus. And people who know Jesus, keep following him. So that's really the message of this passage is, yes, there are lots of people who are walking away, but I hope before any of you walk away, we have a conversation first. An opportunity to tell you the words of life. Now, can I pray for you? Father, we thank you so much that you've put us in this place at this moment, at this time, to hear that You love us and have pursued us and are enabling us to follow You. And some of us in this room, Father, have heard the teaching and they've already concluded it is just too hard to accept. Father, I pray that You make it known to them, whether it's through a friend or us, that the only words of life that there are are Yours and that we can follow You. Help us to get together and to talk this through and to help each other know that Jesus loves us no matter where we are in our struggle, in our pursuit, in the process of coming to You, and that ultimately You will bring us to Yourself. Help us, Father, to be bold and courageous. Let this be a safe place for questions and those that ask them. Let this be a place where people are skeptical, and that's embraced, but not just in our skepticism, but to move us from skeptical to believe, from no faith to faith, from follower to a deeper follower. As C.S. Lewis says, further up and further in. We pray in Jesus'
0: name, amen.